Welcome to South London Hardcore. <laughs> I'm Jack McEnroe, this is Steve Walsh. Hello. And we're in South London, which is home to the world's most popular modern art gallery. Take modern. That's right. Although it is free, right? In other countries, they do charge for their museums. So that probably comes into it. I think we covered this before, but I always think the one thing you can credit the Labour government for without any shadow of a doubt as a great idea was free museums and art galleries. Yeah, that's brilliant. It does seem to have encouraged uh, museums and art galleries to bump up the prices for things that aren't the permanent collection like that. Yeah. Um, Quite common to be charged £16.50 to see one room's worth of stuff. You know, like, I'll just look at the other 27 rooms. We'll definitely that. be coming to that very point shortly. Mm. But say like the MoMA, you know, Museum of Modern Art in... Um, New York we uh, saw it free because obviously I'm quite a shrewd traveller and it's only but it's only on Friday nights that you can go and see you can go free see, after like 5 o'clock or whatever when I went to New York I paid for the moment but oh. by by the same token you know like when you go to galleries and museums in London they have like lots of boxes sort of going maybe you want to give us three quid here or five quid here or a pound here I don't bother with that maybe not because I, I, I say directly into the box. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, I, the way I look at it is my taxes are subsidised in the fact that these are free goes. But if I go to another country, I'll happily pay. Because in the same way as I think people who come to London, uh, if you are a tourist coming to London, you go to the National Gallery, just stick a fiver in a box, isn't it? I wouldn't. No? Uh, nah, I let the rich pay, innit? <laughs> yeah, but then uh, you're giving the message that only, you know, the rich deserve art more. No, they, they just have to pay for it, and we, <laughs> we deserve it, but for free. But then you get into a situation where they go, uh, well, yeah, we'll just charge for uh, exhibitions, and if you want to go, and the rich can afford it more than us. Just keep it all free for as much as When you say tourists, Steve, do you mean people that aren't from South London? <laughs> <laughs> You're coming over the Millennium Bridge, right? People from Farringdon think they can just come over <laughs> and uh, look and take uh, money. How dare they? Yeah, it's the most visited um, modern art gallery in the world. Yeah, 4.7 million a year. Yeah. So the MoMA... Uh, and this is the thing as well, if you do make it free, you you know, there was a... I remember when Tate Modern first opened, initially, I think the media were looking for some sort of backlash from people um, about, you know, the, the obvious thing they always go through is just to get sound bites from people. Um, going, nice no, rubbish. Isn't it? Oh, I don't get it. Yeah. Oh, it's just a load of junk, my, isn't it? My kid could do that. Yeah. Uh, but then... I think it's quite refreshing that people did go along and uh, they loved it, didn't they? People really sort of embraced it, took it mm. to their hearts. The Tate Modern is housed in what was the Bankside Power Station. And uh, you could almost get, say it's got iconic status at this point. I think it's a beautiful building. But that wasn't always the case, was it? I mean, it was in the 80s when it had fallen into disuse. I mean, we'll kind of go chronologically in a moment. But, you know, it was not considered to be uh, a particularly good looking building was it and it was you no, know, it was a, wreck, a point it? of demolition yeah, really. yeah so it is the second uh, power station that's ba- that was basically on that point there was a previous uh, Bankside power station I learnt all this from uh, the Greater London Industrial Architectural Society magazine that I picked up at the uh, Nunhead so uh, Cemetery <laughs> open day <laughs> And I knew it would cut, it would pay off at some of point. It was going to. But yeah, they it was uh, there was there was a power station there, and it just let out so much dirt and uh, 
noise and the smell. Apparently, it was absolutely horrendous. Like, just it was giving out more uh, grit and stuff than any uh, any any other power stations like anywhere else in London. It seems this is at a point where they would just build a power station like in like coal, I think it was, in the middle of like an urban area, and like you know, it was just absolute filth, and it ended up getting knocked down. And then the uh, 1947 energy crisis, Dave, you got this in your notes? Is a um, kind of spur yeah. for them to build in this new power station. Yeah, it's interesting. It goes back to one of the points we made on the show before about how, you know, bankside properties are desirable now. But at the time, it was where you put, you know, filthy, rotten businesses because you just, you, and, and basically they just pump. Uh, any waste from it directly into the river. So you ended up with like just horrific smells, uh, horrible, uh, you know, smoke polluted view and uh, a horrific stretch of river that's just uh, mostly going to be uh, coal sludge. It was designed by Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, whose other work includes Battersea Power Station. So he's definitely my favourite designer <laughs> of Bankside Power Stations in South London. He designed a telephone box as well, the real yeah, one. Yeah. It's not bad, is it? If he'd just done that, you'd sort of Quite go... Quite CV, isn't it? Yeah. When he was designing it, uh, he originally uh, had a much bigger chimney on the building. Yeah. But um, it was decided that the chimney couldn't be higher than the spire of St Paul's. Which is a nice sort of gesture. Mm. But if you think about what a chimney is designed for, which is to remove... Uh, waste as far away as possible. If you're living, you know, close by, you're like, can we just have the highest chimney possible? <laughs> we just pump this directly. Well, there was two originally, and in, there's some mark- some drawings in the the magazine that's got it with two chimneys. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, this was kind of the big source of uh, the contention, wasn't it? That uh, you know, it would you got the uh, St Paul's Cathedral on one side of the river, and the other side, you, you know, they proposed this uh, cathedral of power, as it was put, Steve. And, uh, it's like Gaudi in Barcelona uh, when he designed uh, the Sagrada Familia. Uh, it's, when it's finished, it'll be the tallest church in the world. Uh, it's not finished. <laughs> not due to finish for years. He designed it at like, uh, the start of the 20th century, knowing... It's quite, it's quite an interesting story, and this is a complete story, but we'll, we'll do it anyway, because it's a great story. Uh, originally, he was commissioned to design a church and had a, a very uh, small amount of money and designed a very basic church for the site. Then, while uh, he was finishing off his plans, then he received a massive donation. So he designed the what will eventually be the largest church in the world. A church so large and so detailed that he knew he wouldn't live long enough to see it uh, finished. It's, as I say, still not finished now. But as part of the designs, um, it's very deliberately one metre shorter than the hills of Barcelona uh, that overlook it. Mm. And uh, he said, uh, Gaudi was asked about this and said... Uh, uh, churches should be uh, for the glory of God, not to try and compete with them. There's the idea that he shouldn't; it shouldn't be larger than the natural world. About it, but that's a church chimneys, you know. Yeah, they stack need to serve a purpose, don't they? But it wasn't open particularly long, was it? Only till uh, 1981. Yeah, it was oil fired, um, which obviously, with the sort of various crises in the Middle East and uh, the, the fluctuations in the price of oil, it was just uneconomical. You know, the idea of buying, you're, you're buying oil to burn oil, to turn turbines, to generate electricity. And, you know, 
as you say it, as you say it now, you just think that sounds insane, doesn't it? Mm. The idea of just burning uh, massive amounts of oil to move turbines. But you can still sort of see the structure of what the building would have been uh, in in the building today. You've got yeah, all the names as well. Well, yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. They kept yeah. the original names, haven't they? But you had like the boiler room on one side, sort of where the the oil's being burnt, the turbine hall in the middle where the turbines, and then the switching room where it's being transformed into electricity and uh, pumped out. So it's a very sort of clear delineation uh, between the places. Yeah, so we were saying, Steve, it's, uh, it was almost knocked down, wasn't it? But then in 1994, Tate came in and said, uh, we'll, we'll have it. <laughs> we can probably do something here. And the rest is uh, history. The Tate took over the building and commissioned the architecture firm of Herzog and de Meuron to convert it from... Uh, a decrepit power station into uh, a modern art gallery. Uh, Herzog and de Meuron's other works include the Alliance Arena in Munich. Which is oh, nice. right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the National Stadium. Even Dwarf started small. <laughs> um, the National Stadium in Beijing, the bird's nest that was used for the uh, Olympics, and uh, the Le Ban Dance Centre in Deptford, which we saw uh, wandering around Deptford. So oh. it's nice that they've got a uh, a, a, a South London connection. Mm. Yeah, we talked uh, before, Steve, about um, we talked about the Millennium Dome, which opened for the Millennium, which was uh, a failure uh, until it moved into private hands. And then you got the uh, London Eye, which opened at the same time, which was uh, a success. And this is another thing that uh, I guess this is the triple threat, isn't it? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the Tate Modern opened in January 2000, so it was on schedule, wasn't it? Yeah. And well, the bridge and the bridge that uh, comes over toward uh, from St Paul's Cathedral to the Tate Modern. It was fifty-fifty, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was dangerous, wasn't it? They had to close it. It was wobbling, is, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't it? know if it was dangerous. I think it was just like I don't think there's ever a danger of it collapsing or flipping or anything like that. But it's just a thing of if you're walking, and I mean. You're a man who famously will walk across the crappy bridges. I am a man. You know, this is <laughs> this is this is what you do. You do have no problem. You'd have probably enjoyed it. I've had a great time on that bridge once. Actually, I was making the film oh. on there with my mate Stephen once upon a time in Camberwell, and uh, it was just him on the phone, and we decided to film it there. But it was raining, and because it's like a metal corrugated, not corrugated metal, it's a uh, you know kind of a fairly smooth metal bridge. You can just like run along and like slide. Great fun. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> But yeah, the bridge had to be essentially re reaffixed. But the building from the start was just a huge success, wasn't it? It just sort of mm. blew people away. Yeah. They were so pleased with it. See, the thing is, I don't remember it before it was uh, the Tate. Mm. But, I mean, it's it looks like a new building, doesn't it? It's yeah, a bit it like does. Battersea Power Station, isn't it, where it's just so clean. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. been cleaned up to the to a point where it just looks like a new building. But it's a beautiful building. I'm a well, big also, fan of... Uh, converted power stations evidently <laughs> but also the design sort of lends itself to a timeless quality doesn't it it's not it's nothing where you can go it's a it's Tudor it's Gothic it's just industrial it, and it, but it's not brutalist it's it's just very clean lines isn't it it's just very sort of you know nice brickwork and you know it's just a very sort of plain but appealing building yeah I think when it opened the feature that struck people more than anything was the turbine hall yeah, uh, and it is a, it's it's a, a a fantastic idea, isn't it? Just leaving, the, and quite bold as well to sort of go the middle of this this huge space. We're going to leave uh, 
empty and, and just let people fill it with these grand, huge, massive, or even quite intimate things, but using the sort of... Uh, yeah, I mean, you're there. giving um, artists, um, you know, inverted commas sometimes, <laughs> the, the biggest canvas they're ever going to have, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless it's like Neil Buchanan, obviously he's done some like he'd go in a field. <laughs> Rolf, Rolf would be draw. like, I can do Bugs Bunny on this side, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Daffy Duck on this side. When it was first opened, uh, another striking thing about the contents of uh, Tate Modern was uh, that it was hung thematically rather than chronologically. A conven- very conventional thing with galleries and museums is obviously to group things by age. Mm. And you, particularly, oh, more so, I think, with museums and galleries. Although with galleries, you, you, there's still a sort of linear sort of thing where you're, you're charting the history of uh, artistic movements. Um, and the MoMA is a very good example of a modern art gallery that is hung uh, in a chronological fashion. You sort of walk through and you see um, the development of modern art. The reason that the modern is hung thematically rather than chronologically is. I Ignorance. Think they were as well. But, well, partly, you're right. Uh, there's huge gaps in the Tate's collection. Um, if they were to do it chronologically... Pablo Picasso's Rothschild's real <laughs> Yeah, if they were to try and do it chronologically... Yeah. Where's your Twombly's? We ain't got <laughs> Don't use the plural. We've got one side Twombly. <laughs> Be very careful with it. Hassan's not allowed to touch that one. <laughs> not allowed to touch the side Twombly. So um, yeah, they were to, to basically disguise the fact that there's a huge gap. So they've hung it and say thematically. But they've been open about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's, well the thing is, uh, you know, people know, and, and but also it's uh, uh, as you say, not so much ignorance. It was uh, it was more just the, the very conservative nature of the Tate's acquisitions at the start of the twentieth century, mm. as the sort of modern art movement exploded. The Tate uh, organization didn't invest in it yeah and it's hard you know it, you know it's you've uh, with any sort of thing like this, you know well, especially to, to know what's going to be significant yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely you, you're talking about you, you know paid how much for that <laughs> yeah. this is the thing you're talking about whole new areas of art being created and developed and ha- who's to know you know what's going to prove to be significant what's going to prove to be influential in, in sort of 50 years time so yeah I think um, it, it gets around that problem but also uh it makes it very refreshing to sort of walk around and I like the idea of um, the thematic hangings and they sort of developed that idea as the museum's been open um, when it first started there were four sections um, one of which was History Memory Society uh, another one was Nude Action Body <laughs> uh, another one was Landscape Matter and Environment and the last one was Still Life Objects and Real Life and with that, it sort of feels like they're the working titles. You sort of go right. That's yeah, what you'd label yeah. the boxes. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm not coming here. Nude to see action something. body. Yeah. This is the thing. Where's you sort your of go, nude action body section? Is that a nude action or the? And it's it's fine. But but since then they have sort of developed it. They've they've rehung the gallery since, and it's now sort of themed around pivotal moments in the history of modern art, um, and sort of key movements. Uh, so there's uh, a gallery called Material Gestures, or there was a gallery called uh, Material Gestures, which was about abstract impressionism. Uh, there was one called Poetry and Dream about surrealism, one called Energy and Process about Arte Povera. Excuse my pronunciation. As, as with any of these things, if I'm not sure, phonetic, isn't it? Yeah. That's the best way to do it. Look it up, isn't it, if you care that much. 
and another one called um, States of Flux, which is Cubism, Futurism, Vortizism. Um, since then, there, there, there's a rehang going on at the moment, actually, or just uh, being completed, where uh, a gallery called Transform Visions has replaced material uh, gestures. So that's the, the new sort of area for abstract impressionism. And Structure and Clarity are re replacing States of Flux, so that's their collection on Cubism, Futurism and whatnot. In a moment, we'll have a look at the stuff that's uh, been and gone, mostly in the Turbine Hall. Um, and doing some research into it, it did make me uh, regret the fact that I've not been there very often. Um, you know, you see these things on TV and stuff, and you know, in articles and that. So I kind of got a feel for various things that were there. But it's a free museum, and it's a couple of miles from my, from my house. Really, I should be going there every year. Every every exhibition that comes up, you should be going there. You know, once a month, really. There's only for that, is there? <laughs> but at least, like you know, at least once a year, and I think I plan to do that really from now on. But yeah, we went the other day, and to be honest, yeah, the main thing they've got in the turbine hall at the moment did put me off going every year because it was uh, <laughs> I don't what was going on. <laughs> What's the guy's name, Steve? Uh, the guy's name is Tino Segal. Yeah, so there's been various things in this huge hall. At, at the moment, you walk in, it looks like there's nothing in there. And then you see groups of uh, five or six people running about like schoolgirls, to use the uh, cliche. To use the and, sexist cliche. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, all oh, right, that's a bit... Uh, why don't they... You're in a gallery, behave yourself. And then you see another group and you think, oh, maybe this is it. And that was it, yeah? Yeah. Was there anything else to it? Because it, it was a complete waste of time, I thought. The, uh, as far as I understand, what all we saw was the running and the clapping. And the running the, and the clapping <laughs> and the, oh, well, oh, it hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apparently, um, they're storytellers and they will... Uh, engage you and involve like frenetic movements in stories while they're talking to you i i'd read about the guy before we went there and i was quite interested um in his work generally he, he does he calls his pieces constructive situations and basically one of the things that fascinating fascinating about him, and it's interesting because i know it's something that you have an issue with in, in culture overall which is the fact that his work is never recorded that's yeah. the, the, very much the basis of it is that it's it's in the moment, it's of that time, and it's never repeated in 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 any sort of way. Um, so what he does is he he describes the people involved and shows interpreters, and he works them very closely to establish what he wants in the performance. But then obviously he can't be you know supervising and guiding them, no. so they're, they're left with the parameters. But there's certain parameters. But as part of it, you're not allowed. To, the, the galleries aren't allowed to record. Uh, anything like to photograph it, like to film it, um, so it is of the moment. And I've read about. Um, thing is, if they were allowed, do you think they would bother? <laughs> I've read about one of his pieces previously, which I thought was uh, uh, fascinating. Uh, you know, stronger. I mean, I don't know. We did, it's hard to say that we we saw uh, the best of it, but he did a piece before, uh, and it was a similar thing where people it was in a space and people would walk into the space, uh, just members of the public. And the interpreters would approach them uh, and start talking to them. And if the person responded, they would talk to them and get more and more frenetic and more and more frenzied in their responses and, and talk and talk and talk. But if they failed to respond to them, they just collapsed in front of them. You're not impressed by that? Um, 
<laughs> Maybe I'd have to that, see it, Steve. That, mm, says. So, I, 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 you know, I say, I, I thought the, the idea... Uh, I take what you mean about, you know, the space and whatnot, but I think the fact that they're doing something so... You know, it's so easy just to get another big thing and put it in there, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Get a, a large sculpture, get a large, you know... And that's uh, easier than just having people running around, is it? No, but... Uh, sorry, not easier, but... Bold, no, I know bold, Bolder, perhaps, to do something so... I, don't, I know you don't mean logistically. <laughs> um, but as you say, like it's interesting, I think, even when you're talking about it there, uh, and you're not... You, you didn't like it, but you, as you said, you, you go in there and there's people running around, and what was your first thought? You shouldn't be doing that as a gallery. So it is making you think no. about the space around you in a certain way, isn't it? And then you're sort of like, uh, and then, so immediately is transforming space around you. It has had an effect on you. Maybe not something that you, no. you can't say you've enjoyed it, no, but I don't think I you can say it's say an that. ineffective piece of work. That um, would be my, my argument. Yeah, I think my, my, my um, feeling of much of the stuff in there, even some of the good stuff, right? <laughs> so like, you know those bad? massive white um, canvases with the red um, kind of yeah. curls all over it, kind yeah. of just one go with a paintbrush, yeah. right? Even something like that, which I think is quite visually, you know, um, it's got some... Uh, a strong piece of the design sort of thing, a strong visual appeal. Yeah, yeah. I feel, feel even with that, some of the good stuff, like, do it by all means, but someone shouldn't become, be becoming a millionaire because of it. And people shouldn't be walking in... People shouldn't be, like... Uh, the way it's displayed is if it's something of, like, really high quality. That's what I kind of have an issue with. Put, d- put it on a greetings card. Don't put it in a gallery. <laughs> I don't... See, I don't think... Uh, it's very hard, because I don't think whether they become a millionaire or not is, is here or there. I think... Again, I think if you go in and you see something and it impresses you or has an effect on you, then it's worked and it's done something. And for me, seeing... I, I, I liked I liked those pieces in particular. There's certain things in there I, I don't enjoy. It's not a case of me going in and just sort of going, yeah, this is all having an effect on me. I'm blown away by everything. There's, there's things I enjoy more than others. But I do... And, and to go back to uh, even the piece in the turbine hall, I did, you know, I did find it quite fascinating. I loved the fact that you had... It was... And this is, there's no... There's very, it's very hard to talk about modern sculpture without sounding like a moron or sounding like someone uh, that's... You know, Gives just, it a ghost, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but it did, it transformed the shape of the room around me. I'm standing there and yeah. there's people moving in patterns and then stopping and it's sort of controlled but free. And it yeah, did, but it wasn't it really, exactly Busby Barkley, was it? No, it wasn't. That's what I liked about it. If it was Busby Barkley, then I think it'd be too contrived and too stylized. I like the fact that also the fact that they are, they're not sort of wearing costumes or anything to differentiate them. As far as you can tell... There are, there's a group of six people walking towards you. Suddenly they're on tiptoes and they're forming a circle and then they're just running as fast as they can towards the area. Oh, oh, but great. Steve, that, right, is in the most popular modern art gallery in the world. Yeah. And this is, I mean, I, this, I, I really I think this kind of leads back into my main, uh, you know, one of my main issues is that it's not at all democratic. Like, unlike sort of every other art form, not that I don't mean, by that I don't mean that the most popular selling music and the most popularly viewed films are the best films. But, like, even films that, even films that are considered to be, like, f- great films that flopped still find a huge audience because it's, you know, ev- um, you need, you need a, people will have a reaction to it, you know, and, and in huge numbers. And the same with music, you know, even, uh, there's very few things that you could call real kind of lost masterpieces, is there? Yeah. You know, even if you pull out those albums and go, you know what was great, you know, um, 
I don't know, like Bob Dylan, New Morning, which is brilliant, and it's not people. Most people wouldn't uh, people name, name, London, name London, ten London, Bob Dylan yeah, albums. Yeah. They wouldn't name that. Still sold like millions of copies, whatever, or at least like hundreds of thousands. Whereas with uh, with art, modern art, you know, it's a, it's a it's a comparatively tiny number of people of de- who are deciding what's good, and then not just deciding what's good, deciding what people see. Yeah, you know what no, I mean. Absolutely. You've got, um, but I think you can make a similar point there with publishing. You know, you've got y- you, in, yeah. in the publishing industry, and it is uh, part of it is the fact of it's, and, and this is where uh, the internet uh, is interesting in some things, less interesting in others. In terms of music, now people can uh, produce, develop, and release music mm. without a record company. Yeah. You don't need to talk to or, anyone. And else. even more, more importantly, you can hear anything. Yeah. Or well, you can basically you can hear a sample of any artist's work yeah. now for nothing. In terms of access, and it, and make, it does make it democratic. Absolutely. Um, but with publishing, you've still got a thing where if you want to produce physical things, there's a cost to it. Yeah. You have to arrange for printing. Yeah. To make it look good, you have to either be you know intrinsically good at design or know a designer. It's it's a much more accessible thing. And the sort of poisonous thing you have, I think, in publishing is the fact that if you look at the editorial teams of major publishers and a lot of smaller publishers as well, uh, the sort of route to an editorial job at Faber or Penguin is if you're prepared to do an internship. Yeah, work for free, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can uh, if you can afford to do that, then you get the internship, you get onto the editorial team, you mm. become editor. That's great. Who's who's? Can you afford to work for free? Because I can't afford to work for free. Uh, no, it's a bit far. I've done a lot of work for free in my life, but I know what you but mean. Do you know what I mean? The to take rich, on a full time job, a yeah. full time job for a sustained amount of time. You're yeah. talking about uh, you know a certain class of people that then well, if become. You're not, if you're not from London, you can't. Absolutely, you, for a start. absolutely, yeah. But I mean, the thing is, the difference with publishing, obviously, like you, yeah, you make good points. These are similar, but with publishing. With, well, with books, it's, it takes an effort and to you have to pick up a book and digest it, don't you? And that takes hours at the very least. Whereas with music, you know, you can get within a minute, you know what I mean? You've kind of, you've had some kind of reaction to it. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's and, and the same to, with art to a degree. So people, you know. I'll tell you what you mean. The, the point is, in the same way, my point with, with publishing is with, uh, in terms of the art world, the gallery owners, uh, the people who are in charge of sales, the market is dictated by a very separate. So it's not democratic. It's a very mm. small number of people that own gallery space. A very small number of people that can afford to buy art that then supports artists that allows them to do further work. So and then, but is, then we're all what we're seeing is what these people have by picked. A very small and if you say take something like particularly sculpture, you know where um, and you know so abstract sculpture, if you if you will, yeah. Um, Two people, like I could produce a piece of work and somebody who's got a degree from Goldsmiths could produce a piece of work, right? And you, people would not, even somebody who, who is keen on, who, who like, who loves, loves it, right? Would not necessarily be able to go, this is someone who's done their first ever thing and this is someone who's done loads of stuff. Right, I don't, I, I mean, obviously, right, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm making an extreme case yesterday yeah, before you I, tell me see, that that's no, I, I don't, I don't think but, that's, I don't think that's true. But there's, but also, the, but no, but there's plenty of stuff in there, in the Tate Modern, that is just like a pile of junk, isn't it? I, I know what you mean. <laughs> My thing is, I think, I think in terms of the craft, I think if someone is good at something and someone is just having a go, in the same way, that's like saying, you know, I can sing a song. I can sing a song. No, it's not. Because, but, no, no, the difference is because you put a song on and 
You know, with the, about the, you can, you know what can, I mean? Can Bob Dylan sing? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But some people think he's got some a terrible voice. Some people don't like voice. his voice. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. my thing. So it's a lot to do with taste as well. The other, the second part of it is, I think, in terms of producing work, and this is where, um, you know, the art world gets into trouble, part of what fascinates me about it. Um, you know, when you go to a gallery, you have uh, the information on the side about the piece and you get the art. And I think the difference is in terms of you and someone else standing beside you a bit of sculpture. If someone asked you about it and asked you about the decisions you've made, from what you're telling you me in terms to of... explain it. I don't have to explain why I like Dylan's voice. It sounds like no, no, Simon absolutely. Glue. But, <laughs> but um, it, in terms of... This is where you'd fall down, I think. You, you know, you're saying you're going to produce this piece. From what you're, from what you're, t- from what you're telling me about how you're going to produce it, you're basically going to knock something together. Whereas mm. I'd, I'd hope the person who's studied art and is producing art on that sort of level would have uh, design Reasons ideas behind it. Exactly, yeah. So, and that's the thing where... Uh, and, you know, obviously it should be pretty obvious in the piece as well. But, but you, would you agree, Steve, that there are things there, yeah, that where you can't see where any craft has gone yes. into it? Yeah. I mean... Uh, like, and I'm going to uh, try pronouncing the phrase again and probably get horribly wrong. I do apologise. But Arte Povera, that that whole uh, the whole gallery, that whole movement is based around the idea. So a lot of it is, is found objects. We're getting, you know, the very, you know, the thing, the piece seen as the birth of modern art is uh, Duchamp's Fountain, which was essentially a urinal that he presented in a gallery. And you know, there was a debate: is this art? You know, because he hasn't made it, he's found it, he's placed it in there and said that it's art. And it's just, there was a huge debate about whether art is something that is crafted and made and designed, or if it's something that you can weave a story around, essentially. You can sort of create some magic by saying, yes, this is art, and I can explain uh, why it is. And and that's the thing. There are certain pieces in, in there that, yeah, perhaps visually you sort of look at it and you go, you know... I mean, there's that, that uh, quite famous piece, the, the Stack of Bricks... Yeah, that's a that's a you know a, a good example one, where yeah. you look at it and go. And the thing is, you're absolutely right. Me and you could do that. Yeah, say that had been my first piece and I'd presented that as yeah. you know, people would not take that seriously, would they? Well, they'd ask you about it. They'd ask you why you done. If yeah, I could come up with an explanation, could what explanation? Like you know, what anything could be built from this a house. Yeah, you know, yeah. look at the dimensions. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mister <laughs> Mac. I'm not going to let you into take one. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? No, but it's... you shouldn't have to explain it, should you? If you don't go, oh, oh, Mister M- McCartney, I really like Blackbird. Can you explain what it means? I was about the civil rights movement. Right, that was good. I'm, <laughs> I now enjoy that. You shouldn't have to, but you should be able to. I think if you if you've made something, you should have yeah, an idea the, behind it. You I don't think it a... should be. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Right? Yeah, and that I guess that's what it comes down to, is it? In a way, yeah, um, is that. Um, there's the reasons for doing yeah, these. These people have decided to do. But this. with it's so not, much of the stuff, it's if not you obvious. don't know the reasons, yeah. like you shouldn't have to be standing there explaining the reasons, man. I don't think. But then you know you can make, very... and especially with this thing where the people running round. That's what's annoyed me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think what annoyed you was the minute we went in. You were very disappointed there wasn't something huge in 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 oh, yeah. you know, something epic scale because that's what you'd well about. yeah that's exactly we'll come to. we'll come uh, we'll go through some more of the turbine stuff yeah. in a moment but let me just say what you know just mention one and we'll just skip past it when we get through further uh, further along the um, Olafur Eliasson however you should pronounce it the weather project right? yeah now that's one where I was watching bits on YouTube and I I was really regretting not going because it looked amazing he made a, a huge sun in the turbine room and there's people sitting there just like immersed in yellow light basking in it and it looks incredible 
Right, and I know it's big, yeah, and I'm not just saying no, no, no. do something bigger. As I say, I, I, I think you read about it and you were hoping that you'd have an experience similar to what you'd imagine mm. you'd have had if you'd gone to that. I went to the Weber Project and I preferred the piece that's in there now. Oh, I did, well, I did. I, I really did. I, no, I but the thing it. is, if you didn't like the Weber Project, I can I, I, I like the Weber Project. I'm not How did like you the... like what that was? It was just six people. Like, genuinely, Steve, it was, we were in a big hall, yeah. right, and the lights were off. There was nothing in there. There was literally nothing in there, was there? Humans. And there was well, six or seven people just running about and like tiptoeing. No, that would be a different piece. If it was just me and you and six people in there running around. But that's the point. Well, not the point, but part of it of the, the appeal is the fact that it's not just six people. There's loads of people in there because there's other members of the public. And you don't know who's a member of the public. You don't know who. So suddenly, out of nowhere, groups of people are just suddenly doing these other things. And as I say, just changing your perception of the people around you. You're suddenly looking even at normal people. And going, what, what, oh, what's, he, one of them what's he going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, as I say, I, I, did, I did enjoy it. And I liked the Weber Project. I thought it was, um, it, again, it, uh, what I like about uh, the Turbine Hall is when, I like the idea of going into space that's the same every time, but it's different every time. And going in there and seeing it and, you know, making me look at that space in a different way. That's what I want them to do. The last thing, as I say, if, if they just kept putting epic bits of sculpture in there, then eventually it just gets to the point where I go, okay, you feel that. Yeah, no, I understand. So, right. yeah, I, I, I like the different things in there. And yeah. I, you know, as I say, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm not willing to accept... Uh... Set that, Steve. If anyone's <laughs> listening and wants to do a podcast about South London, <laughs> right? The only criteria is, the is that you is didn't the, like that. If you liked that, then don't then listen to Steve's spin-off podcast. But <laughs> this is this is the final episode. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of painting either, Steve. Yeah, from uh, you know any era. Just <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. What I mean by that is that I don't really. I thought Renaissance was your favourite. It's um... my favourite art form. <laughs> I don't. I don't tend to have a huge reaction to painting. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'll stand there and look at like what was that painting that Hassan put up on Facebook? Bird in a vacuum jar by Joseph Darby, I think it is. Yeah, no, that is incredible, right? Yeah. I saw it in uh, the uh, Tate, um, the National Gallery. Lakeisha pointed it out um, because it's kind of uh, kind of one of the key things about it is that it was. Um, kind of groundbreaking in its use of light and it is incredible yeah, like it's a you kind of, sort of there's the, you know there's the, yeah exactly there's so much going on in yeah. it but also like the the light sources in it like people are in the shadow there's a yeah. the kind of window that's letting in some moonlight and stuff and it's incredible but I look at it and I don't like I'll happily just move on yeah but one painter that I do like like that I do have some reaction to is Edward Monk and in my uh, parents bathroom um I got when we worked at Waterstones, you know, at the end, you know, January when you just got to take home loads of calendars they didn't yeah. sell, and you're just like cutting up all the, uh, you know, anything that had like, you know, Beatles album covers, wicked, I'll stay out of my bedroom wall. But um, yeah, there was an Edward Monk calendar, and I, I don't know what happened to the rest of it, but I ended up only with uh, Despair, which is, uh, it's basically the same as, uh, the background is almost the same as Scream, but maybe a bit more, uh, a bit less gappy. How would you explain it? You know, Scream is a bit like, uh, you know, he's rushed it a bit, hasn't he? But he's put a bit more, a bit more effort into this one. And, and instead Can we do of having a podcast where we used to work modern art every week, <laughs> and instead of having, um, instead of having the scream guy, you know, with his hands on his face, Macaulay Culkin or whatever it is, um, he's got this guy with a bowl haircut, who, you know, a bit of a shoegazer, just standing there, <laughs> kind of looking unhappy in the middle. And it's it's really beautiful. I love it. And we've got I've put it up in my parents' bathroom uh, next to 
extreme close-up photograph of my brother Luke when he's about five <laughs> on a bit of uh, photocopy paper. Beautiful. It's a great, it's a great yeah. combination. So yeah, it, I thought Hyde oh, Monk, brilliant um, at the Tate. You know, perfect. We can, you know, go and see Visit that. The gallery, you fourteen have a... pounds yeah. though. Oh, I've got fourteen pounds to look at some paintings. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not a, a huge Monk fan. I mean, if it was free, I'd certainly look around. But... If there were people when they're running around, Steve, you didn't know which ones. <laughs> Don't laugh, Steve. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we did. Uh, we went up there, and there was no way I was going to pay to get. In. I did put out a note on the uh, Twitter account at SLHC Podcast. Then, if anybody wanted to sponsor the show, get in touch, sponsor the show. Um, me and Steve would happily let you sponsor it for uh, fourteen pounds each. We paid to uh, get us in. Nobody took, us and, in. and no one did. So the fact you're getting a sub on the podcast right now is because you're cheap. <laughs> you get what you pay yeah. for, people. So you're not going to find out what happened. Actually. You, you you can give them an excerpt from the Monk thing, can't you? Yeah. Well, we um we flipped through the books in the gift shop. Um, we hung around the front and saw when the door opened. We saw a bit of a, a self portrait. Yeah, we saw the self portrait, which is great. It's uh, just white on black, which is a really really great self portrait. Yeah, we went through the books in the gift shop trying because you were to show me this because I had no. Yeah, idea it didn't about. seem to be in and any it, of the books. There's really. five books, and in none of them have they chosen. <laughs> no, which so. is his best bit. What they <laughs> but then yeah, went to the uh, back entrance, and um, I thought, oh, you know what? I'll just ask, like Wimbledon. Yeah, go back to our Wimbledon episode. You just get people's tickets on the way out of Centre Court, and then you going with their ticket you know so the first person I thought I'll just ask people first person I went up to I was like have you, have you got a ticket because Raphael have it and go in and the woman goes I work for the Tate <laughs> <laughs> and then the next people it's I'm like, like the piece on the ground floor you don't know who's uh... <laughs> yeah uh, funny you paid attention downstairs you I should have gone and said I'm one of those divs that's running around downstairs can I go in but then the next people the thing I'm, is she believed that yeah I could get away with being <laughs> typecast doesn't it but then the next people I asked, they said they'd given their tickets in at the door, so I guess that was the end of it. And then the, the back door swung open, so I walked in the back door, and just while I was getting some free art in my eyeballs, <laughs> the uh, security guard was like, do you have a ticket? And I was like, ticket? I thought, I thought, <laughs> it, I thought it was free. So I didn't really get much. Uh, I, they, I stayed outside because I'm not a big enough fan of Monk to sort of uh, risk being barred from taking modern forever. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can afford to go and see Monk, man, good on you. So you didn't enjoy the Turbine Hall, and you didn't get to see the bit that you were definitely going to enjoy. But it's a big place. There must have been things there that you liked. Apart from the architecture. Architecture? <laughs> yeah, there's... Well, you go into... Uh, there is some stuff that's impressive just to see, isn't mm. there? Like, the fact that Picasso... Again, Picasso, I don't really have any reaction to it. I'll look at a Picasso and... You know, I'm not saying all oh, this is terrible, like I would with like some of the junk that's in there. But like, with, but the fact that you're seeing a real life Picasso is yeah. is extraordinary, and it? it's like a hard rock it's, cafe. It's culturally loaded. Like that it? is Michael Jackson's jacket. It's exactly the same as that. No, it's very similar. It's exactly the same as that. It's Michael Jackson's. That's a jacket worn by a pop star, and here's a painting by Pablo Picasso. <laughs> They're exactly the same. In my mind. <laughs> no, but there was one thing that I think is temporary, I presume so, and I recommended this to uh, Mi- at Miniborough, who's uh, work I'm a big fan of. You should check it out if you like football and art. Oh, no, look, see, I'm exposing myself as someone who only likes kind of uh, illustration. Drawing footballers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, he said, is, are there any... Uh, I'm in London for the day. Watch the go and see what gallery is good. And I was like, go and see John Hartfield, photo monteur. 
in a, in a tape modern. And that was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I kind really. of whizzed through it a bit too quickly for some reason, though. I was a little bit overwhelmed, maybe. But he's, um, you know, the, the great thing is, and this is what's nice about going to galleries, is you know the name now. And yeah, internet, you know, well, there's meant to be a really good documentary about him, but it didn't seem freely available. Okay. Um, but it's yeah. something to keep an eye out for, isn't it? You're, you're more informed for going there. You, you know, you're a bit more aware of um, something to Yeah, keep and really on. beautiful stuff. Uh, do you want to explain who he is, Steve? Uh, he was uh, a German photo montage compiler who would essentially make pieces uh, by cutting up uh, other bits of... Uh... Former day bearded genius, isn't he, basically? <laughs> um, so many Twitter references. General, there's a generation gap here for uh, the <laughs> listeners. Um, also, they have to be following you on Twitter. Um, which, you know, not a bad idea. Yeah, at Yids, at, at, at Jack McElroy, McElroy at you know. Vents Wales over there. V-E-N-T-S-W-H-A-L-E-S. <laughs> um, and it was uh, it's very satirical stuff. He was obviously uh, operating during the rise of uh, the Nazis in Germany and indeed uh, during the Reich. Had to uh, move away, couldn't operate 3D in Berlin, making his montages of Hitler being fitted for uh, a Karl Marx lid. <laughs> Swastika Christmas tree. Yeah. But it's so wonderfully done, aren't they? Yeah, they're like, um, like this. Because um, people already, if anyone is an art fan, obviously they'd be outraged already. But I was going to—they've gone. Forget about those people. They've uh, thrown their uh, iPods at a wall an hour ago. But yeah, John Harford. I mean, it's Photoshop standard, isn't it? <laughs> Seriously, we need to just scrap this South London thing and just talk about modern art all the time <laughs> with, our, with our refreshing take. <laughs> it's nice because obviously the image is very different. But um, it's like a sepia tone look to it. It's a very sort of yeah, uniform look to the pieces. Yeah, everything's got that, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it, it really there's works. a real uniformity to it, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it's nice as a as a room. And also, in the centre, I mean, I'm a sucker for any sort of bound literature. Yeah, and they've got like yeah, books yeah. and magazines. And just, it's, this is the thing. It could be the worst looking, in terms of design, uh, and indeed condition, book from 1943. I'll just look at it for an hour. I'm yeah, just like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm trying to see if it's like stitch binding and like trying Stick to work. Stick a bit of ephemera in there. Can I see yeah. the end papers? Oh, yeah. brilliant. They've, uh, they've got a design on it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It did, I mean, it, it was almost, that, yeah, that part was fantastic. Mm. But with the stuff on the wall, it was almost like it wasn't best displayed in a gallery. Like, it would be great to have like a coffee table sized book. It because was, it was, the stuff wasn't huge, was it? It was only like A4, wasn't it? Also, this is going to sound odd because I really liked it, it was too much. It's it was, and it? yeah. Because I mean, they were stacked three at a time, wasn't Yeah, it? they're stacked three at a time. Also, thematically, it's a, it's essentially the same message they were going over and over. Nazis are bad, Nazis are bad, Nazis, which is obviously a message. You know, you, there's never a point you want to hear the contrary message. But it was just sort of like, okay, this is... You, it, you're not getting the full sort of effect. It would have been nice if it had been sort of uh, broken up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so if anyone's sort of wondering what to get me for Christmas, I would take a... A German Fonte Monteur. I would, yeah. But it reminded me, it just reminded me actually of uh, the previous time that I went there. I don't think it was in the same space, but it was, it's basically the equivalent. I went once where they had um, Soviet propaganda posters, and like they're just beautiful, aren't they? Mm, I mean, they're all the ones they picked, I presume yeah. they all are. Yeah. But, um, and at Waterstones, one, a book came out, and you could just flick it. Like, you know, the golden age of uh, poster design. It's I don't just, know what years that iconic, is. It's iconic, isn't it? Uh, they're iconic images. You, you know, it's so, mm. so often referenced and parodied, isn't it? You sort of see, you know, other cultural figures, you know, holding a hammer at a certain angle with a flag flying behind them. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting thing. Um, some, uh, and this is entirely off topic, uh, but some recent... Uh, 
promotional material for Mitt Romney and uh, his presidential campaign in America has him and his um, running mate, whose name I can't remember, Paul Sankova, um, but basically he's sort of standing there with a flag flying behind them and someone did like a swipe file thing where they were like, yeah, it looks exactly like communist propaganda from the <laughs> 20s. So I don't know if that's the message that... Uh, Which Mitt is Romney's weird because they there. think uh, Obama's a communist. Boy. <laughs> My point, Steve, about people just kind of being chancers like a lot of the artists that have got stuff there... I think kind of I think I can back it up quite strongly with some of the film and video art that's there, because uh, I mean it doesn't help when when you can see like the Apple Dock where they're not displaying things in full screen. That was that, bizarre, that, wasn't that's it? unforgivable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, that's not necessarily on the artist, is it? That's no. clearly a, a technical foul up somewhere along the line. That was yeah bad. But just so often with these things, you go in there and unless it's kind of a montage of other things other footage like found footage or whatever you know just the existing footage you can you can tell immediately is these things are made by almost all of it I've ever seen is made by someone that isn't from a filmmaking background and I don't mean that as in like you know um, say like with Steve McQueen yeah, the uh, uh, artist come director who directed Hunger and, and Shame his films have a certain composition about them that isn't necessarily just someone who's gone to film school right so that that's not not that's not what i'm saying um in terms of like you know kind of film grammar it's more just like kind of a competence level you know people just have got a camera and they've got this idea and they do things to such a low standard generally like the stuff that's on there now you know just you know people wandering around the camera and the camera works no good the lighting's no good it's just... And it's remarkable. If, that, if, if, that, if they did that equivalent with, with uh, drawing or painting, it would be completely unacceptable, as I find it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting with uh, Steve McQueen, isn't it? Because I've not seen Shame, but Hunger is uh, one of the most beautiful films I've ever yeah. seen. It's just yeah, remarkable. It's how... How, do you, how do you make uh, this, a, a famous uh, scene you know, of, uh, from history? of someone smearing feces over a wall into just one of the most beautiful uh, shots ever you've ever well, seen. There's, there's an eight-minute scene where two people were just sitting at a table yeah, discussing martyrdom, and you're like, it's compe- how's that compelling? I was reading about the film after I'd seen it, and they, were, they said something about, you know, and there's the eight-minute scene in the middle where the, the camera doesn't change, and I was yeah. like, is there? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just, one of the most um, kind of uh, beautifully composed films, as in, you know, from shot, Every shot and every cut. Shot, lighting, mm. just everything. It's just, yeah, for a moment. I mean, this is not South London at all, is it? But he's, <laughs> no, just, no. he's an exception, <laughs> Steve. Uh, yeah, McQueen. that's the thing. And even his stuff with, you know, he did the kind of Buster Keaton uh, homages. Yeah, um, yeah. Where it's just, you know, the house falling Fall down. down. Is it on him? He stars in it, does he? I think so, yeah. But that's done with a, a greater competence than... than well, that's the sort of thing where, you know, technically you've got to get it right and you've got to have the camera set up at a certain angle to capture the whole... Uh, yeah, but so often, Steve, they don't seem to bother. But again, uh, and this is going to sound like I'm just playing devil's advocate all the way along, mm. uh, the Jeff Keane uh, video piece that's in the round with the sort of screens surrounding... Yeah, I didn't no, you didn't. Anything. But I really did, I thought that. it was... Uh, and I, I, I'm, I quite like some abstract film stuff. You know, it's... Uh, I can get I can get on board with the idea that it's just purely visual. Yeah. That uh, well, not purely visual. I mean the idea. I mean presumably it's got something to say as well. Yeah. But I mean you know I've made music videos and sometimes you just go in there to uh, 
you know what I mean? You're not, I'm not trying to tell a story. You know what I mean? No, it's impressionistic, isn't it? You're just yeah, trying exactly, to sort of, yeah. yeah. But I did. I got very little out of it. I don't think it was appalling, but... See, I'd say overall, I enjoyed our visit to take one much more than you did. Mainly mm. because I got to stand next to you as we went around Tate Modern <laughs> and you were very forthright in your, route, your views on what was in Tate Modern. But hopefully in the future we were discussing it and we're hoping to do essentially a walking tour of Tate Modern. Aren't we? Yeah, when the next exhibition comes along, which um, the current one ends in October, but I'm not sure if the new one begins in October or what, but when it does come along we'll do a little walk around with a secret microphone and just uh, record our reactions to the pieces. And hopefully that, whatever is on in the Turbine Hall, you know, I don't know if they have an order of, you know, who whoever commissions it, you know, they must go, look, we've had something rubbish now, we'd better have something good. I believe that's their, uh, that's the one edict they have. That's the uh, <laughs> one rule they, they, that they have. So if we have a little... Unfortunately, uh, this one was really good, so the next one's got to be rubbish. Oh, They're the rules, aren't they? Yeah, it's something. <laughs> if we go back, Steve, from when it opened, uh, I've, I don't have everything listed here, but I've got some of it. Uh, some highlights that you've picked out from what's been in the survey. First one, Louis Bourgeois. The big spider thing. I don't think it was called that, but there's a, there was a massive kind of... Uh... Grand Maman, is it, or something? something. It's, about, it's about her relationship with her mother, isn't it? Is it? Uh, as far as I understand. Oh, was there a little plaque that explained that, Steve? <laughs> no, it was obvious from the giant spiders. <laughs> <laughs> what else could it be? Uh, did you say... Have you seen that one? No. no. Uh, the only one I saw was... Uh, I've written Rachel Whitbread, Steve, but you've told me that's not a name, is it's it? It's White Reed, yeah. <laughs> White Reed. Yeah, all I saw was Rachel White Reed, um, the white boxes. Embankment. Embankment, yeah. And uh, I think almost the point you were driving at earlier about how this room is not just about trying to overwhelm people with having a huge space. Um, that was sort of how I felt about that. Um, it is just a load of white boxes, isn't it? <laughs> I can't sign off on the phrase it is just a load of white boxes it is if you go oh wow that's like oh that's a lot of white boxes but oh, it's the same thing well, if you went to like a massive no, but, say like you went to Ikea headquarters and you were just like having like and that was the piece and you're just walking down it aisle upon aisle upon aisle 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 do you know what I mean that, I would have the same reaction Rachel Whitery stuff is uh, and it's a sort of key element in, in lots of sculpture it's about negative space it's about looking at where the thing isn't as much as where the thing is, I think. And I do think, I, I, again, I really like her work. This customer once came into Watchstones and said, have you got any books on non-spaces? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> of course we don't. And then Glenn, Glenn was like, yeah, we're just... just a chef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got a shelf talk over there, so like non-spaces. Right, Steve, I think it says Munoz Double Bird Anish Kapoor. Is that two uh, double, pieces? yeah. M- Munoz is double bind. Double bind. I can't remember my own <laughs> Yeah, double bind. Uh, I think it's Yamunos or, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it was a great piece where um, he's essentially built this series of rooms that you'd wander around, and there were figures that would just be like peering around corners or looking through gaps. And it was supposed to sort of it sort of evoked a very sort of espionage thriller type thing to it but it's about watching and being watched good. and yeah, fantastic really really good and what about Anish Kapoor that was um, Pins with M what's this the epic piece of uh, sculpture wasn't it like a 
It looked like some sort of organic uh, horn. Oh, yeah, the big red thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was it called? I'll tell you what, right? I don't know if this was the same time as seeing Embankment, but I seem to remember going there and there being a load of apples on the wall behind some uh, wire. Or was that somewhere else? I have, I have no, no no idea what that is. No, I might have seen that in a, in a Time Out that once. It might have been a dream. You know Time Out <laughs> magazine is free now. That is remarkable, yeah. isn't it? Well, is you say that, but I said it to Lakeisha and her friend works for Time Out. We did until a year or two ago when he would think it was made redundant. He was like, it's, he said it, he'd already told her that it was inevitable. So It's the way that print media is going, that you make money from advertising just try and get as high a distribution as possible. Where can we get it from? Shops or not? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause, uh, Will you pick he, one up, Steve? Because you'll def- oh, there'll oh, definitely be one in there. There'll be one Berwick, One London. Berwick Street, gosh, comments, we can go and see Steve. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, I can't imagine, like, as someone who works in a shop, we, we have uh, like a couple of free magazines we give away, Store mm. Pigeon and Your Day's Number, which are both uh, fantastic publications. But, you know, it, there's a, you know, for news agents, news agents don't carry the Metro. Because yeah, why are you exactly, going to hand yeah. over shelf space to something, you know? For, for a comedy shop, it's a different thing. Stall Pigeon and uh, Days Numbered are, are, you know, uh, culturally very yeah, important. Yeah, it draw, it's like Vice magazine. Yeah, it, absolutely. It draws yeah. It almost... I've been yeah. to places to get Vice magazine. Exactly. And obviously, I'm very poor, so I don't buy anything. Yeah. But some people probably would. Do you know what I mean? The fact yeah. that you then go, you're going every week to get it from this place. But get me one, will you, Steve? I'll keep an eye Oh, yeah. Carsten Holler. Holder, holder. If you want to know these people's actual names, <laughs> look it up. Yeah, because I can't read my own handwriting. It's been a problem <laughs> since I was a child. He made a massive slide, Steve. Did you go on it? I didn't go on it. That looked brilliant. It did look great. Yeah. Um, just a, a is Logger's Leap art though? Well, again, it is. You know, and it's horrible to sort of harp on the same idea, but I think. For every artist that gets a, a, a turbine hall, because it's not a commission. I don't think you're sort of you're told what to do. They just sort of give you the space. You know, your biggest challenge is what do you do with all this space? And you know, the obvious thing to do is try and change people's perception of it. And I think a big curly slide is as legitimate as anything else, isn't it? You sort of like you know, it will it will literally move you and throw you into looking at room angles that you would never have considered before. So, oh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that was my take. I just think, yeah. I, you are yeah. pretty sharp, aren't you, Steve? <laughs> I think it's very easy with modern art to go, it's just a slide. Yeah. But you're not giving... You're not giving... I oh, know I have to say that about <laughs> modern <laughs> <Yeah>. art. <laughs> but I don't think you're giving... That's not the a slide, artist, that's a portrait of my mother. You're not giving the artist enough credit. And you're not giving people enough credit. You're not giving yeah. people enough credit to go in there. I'm just trying to balance up the amount, the fact they're getting too much credit. <laughs> Uh, Doris Salcedo Shibboleth which was just a massive crack in the floor wasn't it from uh, the front to the end we- can I just say can you edit out all these justs <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry because you're prepared to give these people the smallest <laughs> amount of credit possible for these epic works no when it's I say just just, it's just this just when I say like, just I mean that was the only thing that there. was the only element to it that's true but it's just uh, yeah, but they had to put uh, like warning signs up because people were falling into the crack <laughs> Mind the gap in it. It's uh, not just a t-shirt. Um, you you made a very good point. I mean, I, I again, and I, I thought it was a, a worthwhile piece and a nice work. But when we went there recently, you can still see the crack in the ground. Mm. They just like, cemented it rather than putting. They haven't relayed the floor. Match, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
And and as you said, and I thought this was uh, it was a very good point. If that's there, it, it, it seems unfair on every other artist that follows. Mm. You know, you can't. I leave... think what I actually said, Steve, is if they gave me the turbine uh, <laughs> hall. My first thing would be like get the floor sorted because I'm not having sugar left all over it. Yeah, well, also it just it's just the thing where you can't have echoes of previous pieces. Surely, I mean, it's like if you you know if you had uh, you know you're looking at the screen. There's like a little white box in the corner. Well, there's like yeah, just like <laughs> is that Mona Lisa looking out the window? You can't do that. You can't you know surely the piece has got to be uh, you know of itself. Although a mashup, isn't it? Imagine that. There's like a slide, oh, best of, and you land on a spider, and then you yeah. go and you, you, and you slide through the, you know, Anish Kapoor, and we'll suggest that they'll love Into it. Into a big pile of uh, porcelain sunflower seeds. <laughs> uh, before that, though, there was a thing that was like a dark box. I don't know who that was. I can't read the name here. <laughs> like you walked into a dark box, yeah, but weren't people like walking into each other and stuff? There's a lot of health and safety issues with <laughs> yeah. many of the, the pieces of tape modern. Uh, following that was the uh, aforementioned sunflower seeds. Um, yeah, that was another one, wasn't there? Where there were like uh, reactions. Reactions? Wasn't oh, like, yeah, um, the people dust had like to allergic stop it, reactions. Yeah, yeah, because the dust. Um, well, this is the thing. When I put I put on Twitter, I did use the word just, Steve. I said because uh, I was trying to get a feel for these things. I didn't go to them. I said, was it just a load of sunflower seeds? And people were like, yes. And other mm. people were like, no, they're made from porcelain. So some people didn't even realise they were made from porcelain. A hundred million individually hand-painted sunflower seeds made of porcelain. And uh, they were breaking and stuff, and that's where the dust came from. But they were all made in China. And it you was can get 100 million like, made in China. Like that, hey, it? it was like a comment on, you know... Of course, yeah, yeah. industrialisation. And uh, While we were there, again, recently, uh, I intrigued you. To uh, a great level, I thought I would, where I just I, I plotted the idea in your head, the seed, if you will, that there could still be... I was like, surely, I was like, even if they're sweeping up, one of them will get lodged on the side. And you just went up to all these girders, and you're like, just giving it a tap with your toes to see if a sunflower seed would pop out. It would have been nice, wouldn't it? It would have been a real moment. I was moment, thinking eBay, day. man. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, one of a hundred million. <laughs> Individually numbered. Yeah, so we'll see what comes next day. Oh, I missed out. There was um, one that was a massive piece of film, wasn't it? Kind of on its side. Like, like a 35mm film strip, but up the whole side of the wall. Maybe that was the Anish Kapoor. No, it wasn't. That was, you've already said that was the big uh, gramophone uh, horn. But that looked good. So I'm hoping the next thing is something big that will be kind of visually arresting. Marcissus? Marish? Something like that, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I've no idea what's coming up next. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly pop along mm. um, and see what it's about. We also took a trip to the Design Museum, which is slightly further up the road, also on the bank side, easily do both in the same day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Shad Thames. And we recorded uh, in the park the day we went. So, Because uh, otherwise there's just not enough background noise, is there? <laughs> Try as I might, I cannot get a building site put outside my door. We've just been to the Design Museum. We got some free tickets uh, from one of the parents at my school uh, works there. I won't say his name because he is in arrears with dinner money. <laughs> uh, no, I was very grateful for the tickets, though, man. I was because when you said let's go to Zone Museum, I was like, I was well up for it. And I'd forgot you had free tickets. We got there today and I was thinking, I have to pay to get in and that's fine. I'll happily pay five or six quid to go to uh, a museum, you know, if it's not free. 
uh, and then you said oh, we've got free tickets and I was like even better that saved me five or six quid and then we went to claim our free tickets and I saw the price of it was £11 and yeah. I was like we wouldn't have done this yeah that's for, pretty steep isn't it ridiculous I mean at some point we'll probably cover the majority of the museums in South London all of them we'll cover all of them we'll cover all of them we had to get this one out of the way though A because of the free tickets and B because by 2014 it will be moving to West London yeah so goodbye to all that do you know why it was built in the location it was built uh, the banana warehouse that's right yeah why do you know no tell me Steve but do you know if you've got notes there, I don't want to uh, I don't know that's just, your notes. why you just tell me um, Terence Conran uh, opened uh, it seems like Terence Conran opened a series of businesses along Butler's Wharf and in Shad Thames restaurants and shops um, and then decided to put a design museum there as well that seems like it's almost a cynical decision on the part of Terence Conran to go yeah London needs a design museum very close to where I have shops and businesses yeah. located <laughs> so yeah he was the uh, driving force between the opening of the design museum very close to his series of uh, businesses nearby. Outside they've got the uh, big Head of Invention by Eduardo Paolozzi which is uh, a great piece I think I really like that. there were some mm. kids playing on it which is a bit like a bit That's good practical, this is what's, uh, any great design is beautiful and has function form and function, that's what uh, that bit of public sculpture has You know, it's nice to look at, even better to climb on yeah, running until the 18th of November, you've got Design to Win, which is a uh, look at uh, design in sport, heavily linked to the Olympics and Paralympics, so perfectly placed. And I thought it was very good too. Yeah, it's fascinating, wasn't it? It's interesting sort of seeing, as, as you pointed out, things like the rowing skulls, which haven't really changed, have they? The materials have changed, but the actual, you know, there's not much more you can do with a rowing skull. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things there, you know, equipment from then and now. And even the stuff from, from the current stuff, you don't get to see it up close normally. I mean, no. there's certain things that are there that you get to see in a sports shop. But, um, yeah, they've got golf balls mounted on the wall, and you're like... Yeah, that, those you probably, yeah exactly, skip yeah. those. But then there's a wall that's got all the uh, Adidas Designs uh, Team GB sports shoes. Sports shoes for various different disciplines. And as a thing, it's a running shoes, but then as you pointed out, like sailing shoes and uh, boxing, all, all sorts of things. Yeah, it's all in the Just same, uh, all the same colour scheme, but like slightly different designs. Mm. Well, very different designs in places. I went with the sailing shoes as once, you know, just wear on the street. What were your favourites? I thought mine were just runners, sneakers. You'd call them if you are American or uh, someone from London who thinks they're American. You hear that from time to time, don't you? Sneakers. Yeah. You ever heard of someone from someone say sneakers? It just oh, sounds uh, yeah. very I heard someone wrong. say runners the other day. That was an Irish person, though. So. Yeah. No, it's so the runners. Ha- hello to all our Irish listeners. <laughs> so that's our second biggest uh, market, isn't it? Is it? Our family, know. isn't it? I guess so, man. The Walsh clan. <laughs> as soon as you walk in, uh, there's a load of uh, outlines of sportsmen in various poses sportsmen and women. Sports people. Athletes. Athletes. Um, up on the wall on the stairs which is quite nice you've got like Messi and Tiger Woods Michael Phelps and same boat all the big names uh, you know their kind of life size outline with stats and stuff which is quite nice and you've got like Shaquille O'Neal on the uh, sumo wrestler so you can get a real sense see how your scale. body compares yeah, yeah I was virtually identical with Messi we found out didn't we I thought it was Frankie Dettori Frankie Dettori I thought it was Frankie Dettori as well but then you pointed out he was like floating above the floor a bit well, one thing where they had very exact measurements that also baffled us was uh, the history of 
long jump and triple jump records. Yeah, marked out on the ground. And um, it's just impossible, isn't it? Yeah, it's like they've made some kind of error. There's no way. <laughs> eight and a half, like nine metres. Yeah, 8.98. How can you jump nine metres, man? Yeah. And I was pointing out, like, obviously they're measuring the, where the very tip of the toe has landed. But even then, if you I allow... Thought, do they? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I thought it was... Uh, so, I thought if your bum hits, that's where whatever hits the ground, whatever's closest to the starting point, I thought it was. I thought it's furthest from the starting point. Don't know. Even though, even even then though, like, even if you allow someone being six foot tall, this still means they're sort of, like, in the air and moving sort of seven metres across the earth, which seems remarkable. And yet, John, Jonathan uh, Edwards' triple jump record, which when has been, stood that, for 17 years. I've, um, I've had dinner with Jonathan Edwards, not just me and Jonathan Edwards, but um, I've, I've, I shared a table with him at Sportsbook Awards wow. uh, a few years ago. Um, it was an interesting time. It was just after, obviously, his Christianity was very important to him throughout his career. Did he say grace? No, he didn't. I kept an eye on him. Did I you got, really? Yeah, I did, because mm. uh, it was a, 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 a club event. Uh, for a sporting club so it's very formal and they like you know uh, toast the queen and, you know I didn't toast the queen uh, but and he didn't pray he didn't he, you know everyone else you know I uh, I sort of bowed my head and just sort of closed my eyes after watching John Fredwards to see uh, if he was doing anything he just sat there very uh, maybe he felt the prayer wasn't genuine no he it was because he, he did he had a massive loss of faith after he retired did he? Hmm. So is he not religious anymore? No, he's not. As far as I can say, no, he's not a practicing Christian anymore. Which is remarkable, considering how much of a practicing Christian he was through his career. He should have done it the other way around, shouldn't he? Then he could have uh, jumped on all those Sundays. Yeah, exactly. He must be kicking himself. Um, they had um, some Stella McCartney designs inspired yeah, yeah, by sport, yeah. which is probably the worst part of what we saw today, and possibly alongside some of the tat in the Science Museum, amongst the worst stuff I've ever seen in a place that calls itself That oh, it was alright, I thought, man. The Stella McCartney stuff? Yeah, it was alright. I, I mean, I think she did an appalling job of the Olympic uh, uniforms. Yeah, but her... The, like, part of the problem is that... Um, that you... That when uh, with sponsorship involved, Adidas, they can't just do the same thing every year, so that's why football teams change their kit every year, and they always have to put something silly on it to distinguish it from the previous year, which, and it, that's much to its detriment. But also, she just did an appalling job. Those kind of all-blue Union Jacks were rubbish. But I didn't think the stuff in the exhibition was as bad as you're making out, Steve. The evening dress based around a, a light the Speedo bird. evening dress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a bit of, bit of a laugh, isn't it? No, it's uh, <laughs> just uh, an ugly thing. The swimming costume that had neither form nor function. Yeah, a load of uh, Paralympic stuff as well, you know. Uh, Hand stuff that you just won't see up close anywhere else. It, like, there's a couple of the blades on the wall and stuff, some uh, wheelchairs. The uh, hang glider did really make me want to go hang gliding. <laughs> but I think there is a decent chance I would die in there. That's the trouble. People do it, though, don't they? Hang gliding's one of the things that do, do fascinate me. I would, if, you, if I could have a go. I you could have a go. If I could have a go. I you could have a go. But I mean, like if like if someone said we'll we'll take you to the place, pay for everything, you could have a go. But are you, are you leaving hints for your, birth, your upcoming birthday? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if someone wants to get me an all expenses paid uh, hang gliding trip. But that's the thing. Realistically, where are you going to go hang gliding? 
Cheddar Gorge, innit? I'm against Cheddar Gorge. Train? How much that costing me? 20 quid? Loads, innit? Yeah, there's a huge picture of uh, the podium shot, the famous podium shot from the 1968 Olympics. It doesn't really relate to anything, but it's such a great image that... Yeah, I guess that's why it fits, isn't it? It's sort of images that are uh, remarkable. Yeah, certainly iconic. Yeah. But doesn't really... I mean, in that room, they've got a load of bicycles. Loads of stuff about bikes there. And, you know, bicycle frames are beautiful things, aren't they? Yeah. Um, upstairs at the moment, they've got this uh, digital crystal exhibition, Swarovski, at the Design Museum. That put you off, Steve, immediately, didn't it? I, uh, I always have this concern when you have a brand embedded into the, the yeah exactly it's one itself. thing to have um sponsorship. sponsorship yeah but when it's like i find it distasteful enough when i go to the british museum and there's bp banners up you know that's uh, horrific enough to have to endure but once uh, the brief for the artist is to incorporate the product is like this is a waste of everyone's time and it? it's like an orange advert although you know to be fair having said all that um one of my favourite things in there was that uh, house with the figure inside whose thought bubbles turned into smoke through a chimney that was made of crystal. I thought that was nice. But, you know, as I say, just the idea of giving someone a brief that you've got to do something. I mean, um, but then again, crystals are... Yeah, you can't uh, copyright crystal, can you? No, but it's also uh, a fascinating thing to work with. There's a lot of uh, elements to it that are, you know, brilliant. But it's just once you sort of... Like, if you said this is an exhibition about... Uh, crystals and art and art and crystals I sort of going okay I'll give it so once you've got Swarovski it just uh, raises my hackles there were a couple of spectacular chandeliers up there though yeah this is the thing like you know you, you can't let it put you off from things that do look amazing but it does mean the things like uh, that, that terrible hologram room yeah that didn't work four people standing there just staring at it as well yeah. like, what are you expecting it to do it was going to start moving but as you said Steve it's not two pack yeah, I was like, who's doing anything with holograms now that isn't dead rappers? This is what we've discovered holograms were always for. I don't really... After that Tupac uh, performance, and if people don't know, it was at one of the major American festivals. I can't remember which one. No, it was uh, Spain at Coachella. Oh, was it? Yeah. Isn't Coachella in America? I thought Coachella was in Spain. Wherever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that one in Barcelona? I don't know, man. I think it's Coachella. They uh, projected a Tupac hologram, uh, and people went wild. Yeah. Like why and are right, they not and doing rightly like, so because it was I an incredible. And, I would vision. genuinely go and see a Hendrix hologram, and I'd be happy to pay like twenty pounds to. Yeah, that yeah, should every, be a new thing. And this is the thing. Like now, uh, if any performer has like a dream duet they want to do, you can do it. It's mm. fine. You want to do your duet with uh, St Francis of Assisi? You know, we can make that happen. There was also some uh, sort of polygons on screen that initially interested me but you've pointed you pointed out it was very much just like a screensaver. Yeah. This is a, you, you go in, you go... And you, this thing, you go into any room with an open mind. Because like with that one, it looked like an empty room, didn't it? But then you go around the corner, and you're like, oh, it's this. So for a, a second, you're intrigued. And then you go, oh, it's just this. And you just want to get out there as quickly as possible. Next door to that room, though, there was a couple of uh, sort of um, frames with things spinning round inside, like yeah. these kind of crystal propellers. Yeah. And I thought they were both really good, man. Very much. Uh, that oh, I could have on my front room wall, and you obviously you'd only turn it on when you had guests. So you <laughs> probably use a lot of electricity. I thought that was fantastic. So they've got a number of designers in residence at the moment, Steve. The brief is Thrift, and 
the designers are asked to investigate the notion that it's more difficult to produce a refined design for £10 than it is to produce the same design for £1,000. You've picked something out, Steve, that you particularly liked. Yeah, independently from anything else, just on a website called Boing Boing the other day, I saw uh, an image of uh, a radio uh, produced on a circuit board, and the circuit board's in the shape or with the same design as uh, Harry Beck's map of the London Underground. And I just saw tube map, circuit board, radio, and I was like, that's great. And then clicked on the link and was reading about and looking at it. And it said, uh, it's currently on display at London's Design Museum. We'd been planning to go there anyway. So I was like, wicked, I'll get to actually uh, see this in the flesh. But it was disappointing because, obviously, it's a big thing with museums. And I can, you can understand it up to a point. You know, the whole do not touch rule. Fair enough. Up to a point. Yeah, you, you, but you kind of need to have certain Yeah, things, with certain you? things. Like, if you go into an art gallery... And there's a panel, I'm not expecting I'm going to be able to run my fingers over the Mona Lisa to check out the texture. That's, you know, even if I'm going, I'll put a glove on. That's fine, I'm not allowed to, uh, you know, molest uh, the great masters. That's fine. But if it's a design, like the Science Museum, quite good at the hands on stuff, but the Design Museum should be similarly, you know, accepting the fact that you are going to want to. Don't put up, uh, you know, sport, a tennis racket and not think I want to take a swing with it. I didn't. But, you know, you do want to, with these things as well, part of the design is in their utility, isn't it? You want to, you know, with the, the rowing skulls, the things that always fascinate me about that is the uh, the fact that the seats are on rails and they sort of move with emotion. It would be great to sort of sit down and uh, have a go on one of those. But, obviously... They Get got... yourself down to Cathlon, Steve, if you want to play with sports. <laughs> well, this is the problem. They essentially have to write off uh, a rowing skull at that point, don't they? Well, you pay a ten quid to get in, and you want to touch it? Eleven quid. Well, a pound of that's a donation. You can ask them not to. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, which that's, I would. That's do. in very small print. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah, with the the tube map radio, it's not on. So as far as I'm concerned, it's just a tube map circuit board, which is fine. But then there's an aerial on it that's like quite an eyesore on the front of it. Put that at the back, and if you is a radio, let me have a go at it. That's by Yuri Suzuki. Isn't Yuri it? Suzuki. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Leck has done some uh, kind of curved wood stuff, which not really my cup of tea, to be honest. It was, no, it wasn't very nice, was it? Well, I was trying to soften that, Steve. <laughs> He's fine. He's, Lawrence Leck's career does not uh, stand or fall on the words of and Hardcore. Yeah, the price is prohibitive. Pretty yeah, I can't, in all good conscience, tell people to go to the Design Museum unless they've got free tickets. Because... Yeah, or if you're rolling in it, then. Yeah, if you're rolling it. If you're rolling it, you could probably... Uh... If you're rolling it, sponsor the show, man. <laughs> Give us some money. But yeah, £11 for, you know, two floors. Not a great deal of stuff. And you can't touch it. If it's £11, you could definitely wreck something. We went down to the shop, Steve. I didn't buy anything. Because I don't really have any money. That's what I'm saying. Give us some money, man. Because <laughs> we're, we're broke. <laughs> I knocked over a display. Which for a retail expert is always uh, embarrassing. Visual merchandising was always your uh, weak point, though, wasn't strong, it? It's a strong point. I'm a strong uh, visual merchandiser. I was once uh, very effusively congratulated for the, the tidy up job I did on the cat food section in uh, Summerfield and Woodchip Lane. True story. <laughs> I wouldn't make that up. I wouldn't make that up. Uh, so, what did you buy, Steve? By dying is what I bought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is a 
catapult target tiddlywinks crossover designed by pupils from the Wharf Academy. But seven ninety five, Steve. Yeah, I think that's a lot, man. It is a lot, but the thing is, you know, by the same token, they were selling muffins for two ninety five. Yeah, it's muffins a very, are lovely. It's, it's it? an expensive place. It's eleven pounds to get into this place. They're they rely on the fact that when you go in, you know, to go back to down there in Paris and London, uh, he talks about when he's working at a hotel in Paris. Plongueur. That's a plongueur. And uh, an Ameri- a rich American comes to the hotel, but he's on a special diet, so he only orders uh, hot water and salt for breakfast. And uh, the chief waiter is furious because uh, he gets 10% on every breakfast. So he's like, hot water and salt? What am I supposed to have 10 So he just charges the guy 25 francs and he doesn't question it because he's so rich. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like, going, that's fine. Because you know, these people have no idea about the relative value of money, do they? So I suppose the sort of people that are going there are going, £11 get in? Yeah, it's fine. We'll bring four people along. That'll be fine. And uh, we'll buy uh, a Bedoying each. Uh, probably uh, some sort of impractical ruler. Uh, we'll have a coffee, and before you know, it, they dropped hundred quid. That's what that's their Sunday. They just they've got to find a way to spend hundred pounds. What I liked was uh, the running track that went round the outside of the building. I thought that was quite nice, up yeah. on the wall and stuff. I thought that was quite a nice move. It got a bit challenging at that point as a race, didn't it? But I, I kept going. I just put my head Ab- down. Abstract. <laughs> Speaking of design, Steve, uh, you can go to our look, a helicopter interrupting my uh, sales pitch. <laughs> Um, pop over to southlandhardpod.com where you can get your Southland Hardpod t-shirts introductory offer £12 each for the single sided ones there's a couple that have got something on the back as well they're £14 more Lakeisha t-shirts SLHC also with it with uh, which ones have two designs on? the one's got it on the uh, breast pocket okay. and it's got the big Southland Hardpod logo on the back okay. so yeah pop over to the site pick up one of those we're on Twitter as well at SLHC Podcast facebook.com slash South London Hardcore you can email us no one ever has but now nah, people, people, people are South London Hardcore at gmail.com we're doing a Q&A episode of South London Hardcore so send us your questions in and we'll answer the best ones on the show you can email us South London Hardcore at gmail.com or tweet us at SLAC Podcast or let us know on Facebook, facebook.com slash Southland Hardcore.